Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. And you made it back to Southern Hills. Give yourself a round of applause. You did it. You're here, and you're ready to study the Bible with me today. Today, we're in Luke chapter number 11, and we're going to start in verses 1 and following. In a brand new sermon series entitled Glow, and we're going to talk specifically about where the light meets the darkness. Where the light meets the darkness. It's a four-week sermon series that I want to introduce you to. And it finds ourselves right in the middle of the narrative of Jesus Christ as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke. In these four weeks, we begin with a sermon entitled Ignite, Teach Us to Pray. Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Now, the reason I'm excited about chapter 11 and the next four weeks is because if you have been following the narrative of Jesus through the gospel of Luke, as we've been going week by week through the Bible, you're going to see that this is where the story of Jesus goes big. Jesus is now allowing his little life narrative to crack into the bigger eternal story of God's historic plan. This is where Jesus' story becomes epic. This is good versus evil, light versus darkness, angelic hosts versus demonic forces, where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Beelzebub, Satan, throughout this entirety of this chapter. You don't want to miss where we're going. And it begins with a concept of prayer and how prayer plays a very important element in spiritual warfare. So to prepare for the sermon, on social media this week, I asked a question. And if you're not following us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram when it comes to uh, the church, we put out this question on our reels, and that was, if you were to survive in the desert for 30 days, let's play a little game, a little scenario. You're taken out to the middle of the desert of Nevada. You're dropped off and you can only pick one of these things. Which of these items would you take? And a lot of people picked a lot of these different items. And I'm interested to bring that concept right here into this room. Well, from the survival pack, you have the water canteen, the the knife, the tarp, and the rope. And my question is, which one would you pick? I'm going to ask you right here in the audience. Who wants to play? Let's raise your hand at each one. Let's, let's go ahead and begin with the rope. Who here would bring the rope? 30 days in the desert. Which one would bring the rope? Raise your hand real high. Let me see. Uh, Who would bring the rope? Very good. Not one person. You're like, Pastor, you can't trick us. What's a rope going to do out there in the middle of the desert? Forget the rope. This crowd, can I tell you? Let me tell you. In every other one of the services, the rope is the wrong answer, by the way. For every one of the services, there have been people who picked the rope which tells us this, so far the third service, our favorite smartest service. Give us your round of applause, you're the best. 
You're fantastic. This is called pandering. All right, let's go on to the next one. Who would pick the tarp? The tarp. Who would pick the tarp? Raise your hand real high. How many of you picked the tarp? A few of you would, okay. And maybe you've seen some survivalist type stuff where you can take a tarp and you can dig a hole, put a rock on top of it, and then maybe put a plant or a cactus, and maybe the condensation would come up and it drips down. You have a little water, a water supply source for you. So some of you would pick the tarp, two of you overall. Very good, very good. Who would pick the knife? Raise your hand. How many of you picked the knife? Oh, a lot more of you. The knife. Why would you pick the knife? Somebody tell me, why would you pick the knife? Defense. defense. Because, who said defense? Defense. Why? Because the bears, right? Or the cougars or, or you know, the gangs or whatever's out in the desert. It's coming to get you. Wes is going to pull out that knife and he's ready to go. He's, he hasn't drank in water in four days, but he's going to defend himself <laughs> against... The elements, very good. Okay, who, what, what, what'd you say? It is a multi-tool. So not only can you cut the bad things and the bad guys, you can actually use it to, you know, as a screwdriver to make an Ikea cabinet in the desert. It's true, it's a good point, it's a good point. Now, Brandon, very good. All right, next one. Who would take the canteen of water? Raise your hand, how many of you can't take? Whoa, that is a lot of people. And you're like, why not? I could just have a little bit of water every day, 30 days, survive with a canteen of water. Okay, now, lastly, who would take the pack that includes all five, four of these things? Who would take the pack? Oh, okay. Okay. I'm about to have a mutiny. Some of you are like, wait a minute. You're a little upset. You want to recount, don't you? Some of you do, yeah. Who, who said they would take, who actually knew where this was going? You're like, pastor's tricky. He's messing with us. I'm going to take the pack that includes all of them. Who kind of knew that was coming? You are devious people. You, you're raising your hand. You did not. You were the one who said the rope. I don't know. Look at this person. The tent or something like that. Yeah. You say that's a trick question. It is because it sets us up for the main point of chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. What if I were to tell you that there was one thing you could pray for that includes all of the other things? You only have enough time, enough memory, enough moments in the day to pray for one thing that would include all of the other things. What would that one thing? You, it's the survival pack that you can pray for that would include everything else you could possibly need. The first and primary, probably most important thing you could pray. What was that one thing? If you would be interested in knowing what that one thing to pray for is, say amen. If you're interested in that, say amen. Luke chapter 11 is going to teach us near the end of the sermon. So, prayer. How do we pray? And that's exactly what we see in this passage. I believe that prayer fires up the Christian. I believe it ignites the Christian. I believe you glow from a perspective of spending time in prayer. But the problem with prayer is that as we teach and study about prayer, it becomes extremely convoluted and very confusing for a lot of people. And so many Christians will say things like, teach us to pray. And that's exactly what Jesus does with his disciples. In fact, the disciples of Jesus come to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. Look what it says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place that when he stopped praying that one of his disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples. 
And so just as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray and Jesus taught the 12 disciples to pray, we're about to receive, we as disciples of Jesus are about to receive the teachings of Jesus on how to pray. And for us, I'm going to simplify it by saying that we can learn from this passage three words. And if you can learn these three words, it'll simplify prayer for you. The three words are father, shameless, ask. Father, shameless, ask. What's the first word? Father, you say it with me. What's the first word? Father. What's the second word? Shameless. What's the third word? Ask. Let's say it together. Father, shameless, ask. Say it together. Father, shameless, ask. You learn these three words, you're going to learn all of what this has to say. First of all, let's talk about father. First and foremost, point number one, father. Luke chapter 11 and verse number two. Lord, teach us to pray. Look at what he says. Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, many of us know this prayer. Even if I were to tell, ask you at the beginning of the sermon, how many of you know any prayers in the Bible? Some of you would say, I don't know any prayers in the Bible. But then I would read this, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that one. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How many of you grew up hearing this prayer from a family member, or you went to church and you heard this prayer over? How many of you grew up hearing this prayer? Raise your hand. How many of you did? Okay. And how many of you grew up in a religious home where you heard it so much you memorized it, right? How many of you? Yeah, okay, some of us did. Now, look, look, this prayer is a beautiful prayer but let me explain the problem with it. The problem is not with the prayer. The problem is in how we view the prayer. Most of us were taught to view the prayer as a ritual. And as a ritual, it sucks out the power of the relationship. Like a ritual as in it's a prayer to repeat like if something bad goes on, right? Like you sin and you're like, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name and kingdom come, right? Like maybe you grow up and you hear a, you watch a scary movie or the wind is blowing outside and all of a sudden you're in your bed at night at 11 years old and you're like, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, kingdom come, thy will be done. Keep Freddy Krueger away from me, amen. <laughs> right, you're scared and so you say this prayer. And it's almost like a magic incantation that if I say it enough, then suddenly all my fears will go away, all my sins will go away. But the problem is, you and I were taught this as a ritual, and it saps the joy of the relationship of this prayer. See, this prayer is a relational prayer, and you know this because Jesus begins in verse 2 by saying, when you pray, say, our Father. The key to understanding the Lord's Prayer is to understand that you are praying to the Father. Your relationship with God is not that of a relationship of some divine being or force that is so far out there that he doesn't know your name or know anything about you. Some God in the heavens who is throwing lightning bolts at humans. This is somebody who is supposed to be your Father. And then he describes what kind of father you have. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
the first thing he tells us about God the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, tells us about God the Father is that his name is holy. The word holy means righteous and good and just. Your Father in heaven is a good Father. Let me say it this way. He's a good guy. He's a good dad. He's not a bad dad. Do you know why it's a problem for people like AJ and I who are ministers? When we tell people that God is like God, God is like your father. The problem in our modern society is that many of us had terrible fathers. There are, there are men and women in this room. God bless you and God help you. Your father was, was, was absent. Or maybe your father abandoned you. Or maybe your father was around, but every time you tried to approach him, he dismissed you. He didn't spend a good relationship with you. And so when you think of fatherhood, you think, that's not that great. For some of us have even been abused by our fathers physically or verbally or emotionally or even sexually. And when you've had that kind of a trauma with your physical father, and then a guy like me gets in a place like this and say, God is your father, you're like, I don't want another father. And it makes sense. Because your earthly father was a bad person. So the first thing that Jesus tells us about the heavenly father is, our father which is in heaven, holy is his name. He's a good person. He's a good guy. If you come from a warped perspective as it relates to fatherhood because your father warped your perspective of fatherhood, then I want you to think in terms of God as your adopted father. I want you to think in terms of you were abandoned by your family. You were a street urchin. You had no food and no friends and no hope and no future. And you're just dying on the street. And the wealthiest good man in town comes by and sees you dying in the street. And his heart is broken for you. He's compassionate for you. And he sees you and he helps you up and he gets you medical care and he feeds you and he brings you to his mansion. And he says to you, I love you for some reason and I like you and, and everything I have is yours. You're my one and single only heir. You are my family. That's the way I want you to think about God the Father. He is a good father. But notice this. He's not only a good father. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this else tell us about our father? He's not only a good dad. Your dad is a king. He's not only a king. He's the king of kings, which means if he's a king... You're a prince. You're a princess. You're of royal lineage. Your blood is blue. You are important in the kingdom of Christ, where once you were nothing, now you are something in the family of God, which means you have value, you have worth, you have future, you have destiny, all designed by the God who created you and loves you. He says he is your father who is good. He is your father who is king. But it goes on, give us this day our daily bread. Your father is not only good and king, your father wants to provide for you. He wants to give you your daily provision. Do you know what God wants from you? I'll tell you exactly. If you're like, what is this all about? What does God want from me? I'll tell you what God wants from you. God wants from you daily dependence. That's it. All he wants from you is for you to realize you can't do it every day without him. 
Yet you know what we as humans do? We look up into the face of God and say, I can do this without, who needs you? And God says, no, I just want you to know that you can come to me for your daily needs. He gives you your provision, but it goes on. And forgive us of our sins as we forgive everyone who has sinned against us. You know what's something else about your father? Your father, your father is easy to forgive. You make a mistake, you can go to him. He's not scary. The, the reason why we don't understand God the Father is because religion sets up God the Father as this. If you're very religious in your heart versus a relationship with God, religion says, oh no, I messed up. My dad's gonna kill me. That's religion. Religion says, oh no, I messed up. Dad's gonna kill me. Relationship says, Oh, no, I messed up. I got to go tell dad so he can help me. You and I are all going to mess up. How you view God will tell you whether or not you have a relationship with God or you have a religious perspective of God. Do you see? And what Jesus is trying to tell you as the one truly only unique son of God is that you could view him as a father. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which means God not only wants to provide for you, he wants to protect you from evil. He doesn't want you to fall into evil. He doesn't want you to fall into the ways of Satan or your own fleshly desires or the world and its influences. He wants to protect you from that. You see, a loving father will set up boundaries and he will set up rules to provide and protect for his children. Let me say that again. So that you properly understand God. A good father, a loving father will provide protection and provision by setting up boundaries and rules so that you can be provided for and have protection. You say, don't all fathers do that? Well, all fathers set up boundaries and rules. But why they do it depends on whether or not they're, we'll show you whether or not they're a good dad. Right, like, let's say dad is in, the, in his bedroom and he's laying down and all of a sudden, he yells out to the living room, hey, shut it up in there. Hey, keep it down. Okay, so he's setting up some rules, some boundaries. Is he not? Yes. Why is he doing it? A loving father sets up rules and boundaries for the protection and the provision of his children. A selfish father sets up rules and boundaries for the protection and provision of himself. I'll give an analogy when it comes to the table. Good parents teach their children not to be animals at the table. But why you do it really does determine how your children view you and how you view your children. A, a father could sit there and have rules and he, a child spills the milk and he loses his cool. You just spill it again. Look at you, you're making a mess. And the reason we know he's a selfish father is because he's angry because now he has to clean it up. A loving father might have exactly the same rules. Hey, keep your food in order. Do this. Put your hands here. Put your feet there. And put the chair here. Why? Because he knows that this child in the future may sit with kings. He knows that learning rules and discipline and boundaries as a young person will help set them up for success in life. 
A good father is not a father without any boundaries. A good father is not a father who has no limits and no rules. A good father is the one who sets boundaries and limits for the goodness of the child, not for the selfish needs of the father. Does this make sense? Yes? So when we look at God, that's exactly what God has done for us. He gives you rules and boundaries like thou shalt not lie. Why should I not lie? Because if all you do is lie to people, you'll never have people in your life trust you. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because if you're only committing adultery, you're never going to understand the beauty of a single monogamous relationship throughout life. God says don't kill people. Why? Because if you kill somebody else, somebody might kill you. There's all sorts of reasons and boundaries because God loves us as a father. He sets these boundaries in order because he is selfless, not selfish. You say, Pastor, how does that relate to us? I have my, my son is... My son is 19 years old. He's lived a long time with me. Now he's in college in Virginia. And I say this because there are teenagers in the room who might genuinely have questions like, why do my parents have such strict rules about no phone? Or if I do have a phone, I mean, they're constantly, they know the passcode and they go and do and look at my stuff. Or maybe they're tracking you on your phone. You find out, my parents track me. How old are you? 17. Good. They need to track you. I still track my son, 19 in Virginia. He tracks me too. Where are you, where are you at, dad? <laughs> track each other. You say, why? Why? You might wonder as a, as a young person, why is it that my parents are asking me all about this guy? Asking me these questions about this guy. Or maybe, maybe a young, uh, uh, to your son, hey, you know what? Let's talk about the type of women that you're interested in. Let's sit down and talk about that. Say, why are they so intrusive in those conversations. Or whenever they're very young, you have bedtimes for the children, right? And you have bedtimes not simply because you don't want to see them, but because you know a good rest cycle will help them throughout the day. And if you have very young children, because you also don't want to see them, sometimes, sometimes, temporarily, just for a minute. And why do you check on those grades? And why do you say to them, uh, get those chores done? And why do you say, don't wear that, instead wear this? And why do you say, if they're a child of a certain age, take a shower? None of your friends will tell you this because they smell exactly like you. Take a shower. Why, why, why do they do this? Here's why, here's why. Because good loving parents set up boundaries and rules to protect and provide for their children. My son, as I said, is 19 years old. He texted me just on Friday. He texted, he said, hey, what's the pin code? And I'm like, pin code for what? He's like, I'm trying to watch Gladiator. And I, I don't know the pin code. See, all of our, all of our um, uh, uh, streaming services have pins so that we don't watch certain, you know, ratings and stuff. My son, you say, he's 19 in college? He's 19, he needed a pin code because Gladiator's rated R. You say, well, what does he normally watch? I don't know, Paw Patrol, something like that. He's out there watching Paw. <laughs> he's like, man, I, I'm gonna watch Gladiator. Can you give me the pin code? I'm like, oh yeah, 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 sure. And I send him the pin code. As soon as he's done watching Gladiator, uh, you know, then I change the pin code back to Paw Patrol. You know what I mean? <laughs> you say, what? That's crazy, man. I mean, he's 19. Well, there's a lot of stuff out there that um, he's not ready to have access for, quite frankly. Say he's 19. Man, he must, Josh, I've got to tell you, let me help you as a dad. He might, he must, Josh, you're a bit terrible dad. He must really feel like you're a very oppressive person in his life. I don't think so. You could ask him, he'll be here next week on his Thanksgiving vacation. You could ask him, how's your relationship with your dad? Very oppressive person. And here's why I guarantee you that he would say, no, not at all. He helps me. He doesn't hurt me. You know why? Here's why. Because boundaries and rules 
Protection can feel like oppression when all you're dealing with is religion. But protection can feel not like oppression when you have a relationship. A relationship allows you to understand why God, your father, will put certain rules in your life to say, don't go there, don't go there, don't do that, do this instead. Some of you, I'll bring it back down to the main point. Some of us in the room, we're, our view of God is really messed up. The, we, the way you view God is like an oppressive person, like a cop constantly hitting you, telling you what to do, and you're like, man, God is just this big thing over my life. It's because you view God from a religion point of view, not a relational point of view. And when suddenly you can begin to get on your knees and pray to him as God the Father, everything shifts and you realize he puts things in your life because he wants to provide and protect for you. Does this make sense, yes or no? The first perspective you've gotta understand when it comes to understanding Jesus's view of prayer, number one, is Father. I'm gonna say number one, you say Father. Number one, Father. Number two, does anybody remember what the second word was? Anybody know? Shameless, shameless. The second word you gotta know to understand true prayer, shameless. Say, what do you mean, shameless, pastor? How does that have to do with prayer? I like what theologian Tim Keller said about prayer. He said, prayer is not a passive, calm, quiet practice. If you were raised religious, especially a quieter denomination, you get this idea that prayer is just this quiet contemplation. Hum. That's not prayer. Prayer is an aggressive conversation with God. It is not calm. It is not passive. It is a shameless conversation. And Jesus gives an example of this in verse 5. Look what he says in the text as it goes on. He just said the Lord's Prayer. Now he gives a story, verse 8 or verse 5. And Jesus said to them, which of you shall have a friend and will go to him at midnight and say to him, he tells a story, which of you would have a friend? And go to him in the middle of the night and say to him, friend, 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 lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to my house from a long journey and I have no food to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, hey, 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 don't trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are asleep in bed. I cannot rise and give you food. And Jesus says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him food because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. Jesus tells a story here about a man who shamelessly, in the middle of the night, keeps on knocking at his neighbor's door, asking for food because he has a friend that's hungry. Excuse me, I know it's the middle of the night, but my friend needs food. Get out of here, we're asleep. I know you're asleep, but I need some food for my friend. Get out of here, you're driving me nuts. I know I'm going to keep knocking until you give me food. Jesus gives this an illustration as a way you are supposed to pray. You're supposed, you say, man, that's shameless. That's the way you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking. Why? Because what you need to learn about your father, your new father, your heavenly father, he's rich. He's got everything you need, and you need to shamelessly ask him for your needs. My children, I have three of them, they are shameless in asking me for whatever they want. 
How many of you have children in the home still? How many have children in the home? Raise your hand. You have children in the home? Aren't they shameless about it? Even since they're a baby, they, they're born. And they're like, give me milk, constantly. They're not like, excuse me, father, I'm dying inside. I would like some milk, please. But if you can get around to it, I understand. I'll wait upon you. My children have no problem asking me for things. Um, I have three of them. My, my youngest, Scarlett, is the most aggressive. How many of you have a child, the most aggressive, right? She happens to be the baby of the family. She's the youngest one. And so she's most aggressive in how much she asks me for things. Now, babies get a bad rap. Any babies in the room, anybody that's a baby in the family, that's okay. You get a bad rap. I think you're a, you get a bad rap. Here's why. Babies are not selfish in the family. They just know how the system works. And here's how the system works. All you got to do is ask and ask and ask again and keep asking and asking and asking and ask some more. That's the way my daughter Scarlett is. She'll just come up. She'll be like, Daddy, Daddy. Hey, Dad. Hey, hey, Dad. And so recently, it was about, well, it was about a year ago, she wanted something very specific. She wanted some black high-top Converse chucks. That's what they're called, chucks. How many of you know what these are? There's a photograph on the screen. How many of you know what these are? You know what these are? Man, she wanted these. She's let me know. You got them on? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, she's like, I, she's like these are the ones I want. This is the color I want. And I'm like, okay, great. She's like, so you're going to get them for me? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm going to, yeah, for, for. And at first I was shocked. I'm like, you want those shoes? Because when I was a kid, those were the shoes like cheap people would get. You know what I mean? They were like the junky shoes. And she's like, they're so cool. They're really cool. They're so awesome and cool and really neat and cool. And, and she doesn't say neat. I can't believe I said that. But whatever. She's, she really wants them. I said, why do you want them? And she said, because Miss Nydia has them. Miss Nydia is one of her teachers in the Ascent Youth Program here. She's one of the ministry leaders for teenagers. And she's like, oh, I, I just love them. Miss Nydia has, they're so cool. Can I get them? I'm like, sure. And I'm thinking like 12 bucks because they're Converse. <laughs> right? Like that's what those should, that's what you should pay for those. But they're like, you know, you, they're making them for like 38 cents somewhere. And they're selling us for like $68. And so we go to the store, and, and, and she didn't ask once. She kept asking me. She would, we would be walking through stores. She'd be like, oh, look at those. See her? She's wearing those chucks. You know those chucks? Those are chucks. <laughs> Everywhere we go. She'd randomly text me. I'd just be sitting in my office, and all of a sudden, I'd get a text. be like, hey, Dad, I love you. <laughs> and then a picture of chucks. <laughs> so guess what I ended up doing? Buying her the chucks. Now, you say, why? Here's why. Look at verses 11, the next verses. Look what it says in the next passage. It says, say, Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Could it be possible? Listen, listen. My, I'm talking to you. Because you're here because you want to know truth and you want stuff that will help you. This will help you. Could it be possible the thing you need, you don't have because you're not asking the one who can give it to you? You're not daily dependent on him. You're daily dependent on you, and that's why you still don't have what you need. Prayer is God's opportunity for you to talk to the guy who has everything. And Jesus says, say, I say to you, asking it will be given unto you. Seeking you will find. Knocking it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks will find. He who knocks it shall be uh, given. It'll be open. And he's saying, keep on asking. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking. Keep on finding. Shamelessly, shamelessly, shamelessly. Keep begging God for what you need. 
just like my daughter did. So I bought her the Chucks. Now, let me, let me ask you this. I, I don't spend time with teenagers as much like the youth team does. Every Sunday night, they meet here, and it's a great party, and they minister to the teenagers. I minister to middle-aged men, mostly. Heather ministers middle-aged women and the rest of the adults. That's what we're in charge of, right? And that's what we do. Imagine I'm, I'm at coffee with one of you, 38-year-old dude, and, and he wants some counsel about some stuff. So we get together, and we grab some coffee, and we're sitting at Starbucks, and, and he says to me, he says, hey, pastor. I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, good, man. He says, hey, 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 can you pray for something? I'm like, yeah, I can pray for it. He's like, hey, hey, he's like, hey, I, have you seen these black high-top Converse Chucks? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, I've, yeah, my daughter loves them. He's like, yeah, man, those are, those are pretty great. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'll, I'll pray for that, sure. So what else is going on in your life? And he just, just can't get off the Chucks. He's like, I don't know, I've been thinking about these Chucks, and I'm really wanting these Chucks, and, uh, you know, if you see some Chucks out there, let me know. Will you let me know? I'm like, yeah, I get around. He's like, you know a lot of people, right, Pastor? I do. You want Chucks, that's great. We spend the whole time talking about Chucks. And then I leave. And, and, and the next day, he texts me. And I'm like, okay, it's the guy. And he texts me, and he's like, hey, pastor, thanks for coffee yesterday. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I'm about to reply. And all of a sudden, he sends a picture of Chucks. <laughs> and, and then I see him the next Sunday. And I'm walking by. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Shaking hands. And the guy's like, hey, pastor, I just got to be honest with you. I'm like, yeah, what's up? Come here. He said, I got to be honest with you. He said, can I ask you, will you buy me a pair of Chucks? Okay, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between my daughter Scarlett and this weirdo? What's the difference? <laughs> what, what's the big difference? One of them's my daughter. Same scenario, same shamelessness. One's my daughter, the other one's not. Don't you understand the way God the Father sees you? You're his little daughter. You're his son. He's got everything you need. Why isn't that you don't go to him? And shamelessly ask for what you need. And that's what leads us to the third word. Does anybody remember what the third word was? Ask. Do you know what the word prayer means? The word prayer literally means, it's an ancient word to, to ask. You know this because you've seen movies where they say, I pray thee, therefore, my beloved friend, will thou please share with me thine spaghetti, right? Okay, they're asking, I pray thee for something. I'm asking... So God is saying, if you want to understand prayer, it's simple. Father, shamelessly ask for whatever you need. For whatever you need. That's what he goes on to explain in the last part of this passage. Look at the next text. It says, for a son, Jesus now gives a few metaphors before he closes his point. For if a son asks bread from any father among you, will you really give him a stone? Any fathers in the room? If you're a father, raise your hand real quick. Any fathers? Let me see your fathers. Okay. Okay. Jesus is talking to a crowd like I am. And he says, okay, you're fathers. Is there any father here that if your son was like, I'm really hungry, can I have some bread? You'd be like, here's a stone. Suck on that, kid. Would you do that? No. No, you would not. And you're fathers. Would, it, would, would any father goes on? If he asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? What kind of a father would do that? Or if he asked an egg, would he offer him a scorpion? Like, who does that? And then Jesus says in verse 13, and it's the point, 
if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Now, I love how blunt Jesus is. Jesus is saying, who here would give a stone when a kid wants bread? You'd be like, who would do that? Jesus says, you give good gifts. And he said, you people are evil. Y'all are bad people. (laughs) And God is a good God. Do you see the comparison contrast he's making? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly father give whatever you want to those who ask? Is that what it says? Now, now this is is the most fascinating part of the sermon. It'll close it out. This is going to blow your minds. Have you ever watched a good movie and at the end of the movie there's a twist ending? And you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Nobody could see this coming when Jesus was teaching. Because when you read this passage and study it out... He totally does a U-turn and a twist at the very end. It looks like it should read, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give whatever you need to those who ask him? Whatever you need to those who ask him. But that's not what it says. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, why is it that Jesus says, pray and beg and ask and knock and seek one thing, the Holy Spirit. I opened up the sermon by saying, if, there was, if I could tell you about one thing to pray for that would include all the other things, don't pray for the knife. Pray for the survival pack. Don't, don't pray for the canteen of what. Pray, pray for the survival pack. Can I tell you the one thing that you should pray for? Here's the one thing you should pray for. You should pray and ask God every day for the Holy Spirit to control you in life. Ask for the Holy Spirit. You say, why? Because with the Holy Spirit, you get everything else. Everything you want is found in the Holy Spirit. Look, it's just a few concepts from the Holy Spirit. Here's just five ideas from the Holy Spirit that when you have the Holy Spirit, you have it. For the person who's naive, if you're here today and you're like, I just can't tell what is right and wrong. I can't tell truth from error. We live in a society and I can't just tell what is right and wrong anymore. I just can't get it. For the naive, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. You say, I've been so stubborn The problems in my life is not because of others, it's because of my own stubbornness, and I've just got to be broken. You you pray for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you a conviction of sin. The moment you do something that God doesn't want you to do, the Holy Spirit will be like, ah, don't do that. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. And he'll break your stubbornness. For the self-destructive, according to Ephesians chapter 5, if you're self-destructive, you've got some behavior in your life, something you keep doing, and it hurts you, and it hurts your relationship, it hurts everything, you're like, man, I wish I could just stop this. Oh, God, help me to have self-control. If you pray for the Holy Spirit, you'll get self-control. The Holy Spirit is the answer for all of these things. He is the relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is the survival backpack for every Christian. You're in the midst of a storm. You're like, man, things are just going crazy in my life. I don't know what to do. I wish that God would give me peace. Don't pray for peace. Pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings perfect peace. No matter what. For the lost soul, you're like, I don't know. Should I take that job or that job? Should I move there or should I move there? Should I buy that or buy that? This relationship or that relationship? Ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person who brings direction for decisions in life. 
That's why Jesus gives us this twist ending at the end. Jesus doesn't want you to ask simply and only for guidance, discernment, self-control, peace, direction. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new here, I'm a practical preacher, meaning I like to put it right on the bottom line and tell you practically what you should do based on what the Bible just taught us. Practically, this is what you should do. If you're not yet a Christian, meaning you've never repented of your sins and received Christ as your Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't have him. The Holy Spirit is a gift for the person who has been saved. But the moment you repent and receive Christ as your Savior, you're saved. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, to live in you and through you. He guides you and directs you. He's supposed to be the person who moves you in life. The Holy Spirit is yours. So if you've never received Christ as your Savior, the one thing you should do today is repent and receive Christ as your Savior. You'll be given the Holy Spirit, which is everything. Now, that's for those who have not yet become a believer. Practically, for those who have become a believer, maybe three weeks ago or three months ago or 30 years ago, you got saved. Okay, for you, what do you do for the Holy Spirit? You do what I have to do. Every day, I get on my knees, and I say, God, I can't do it today. I've got to do this meeting and that meeting and this thing and that thing, and I've got to talk to my kids about this and my wife about this, and I, got, I can't do it, God. Holy Spirit, will you fill me and control me today? Will you be the one moving me and showing me and speaking through me today? They don't need to see me, Holy Spirit. They need to see you. So I ask God to control and fill my life every day. Practically, Jesus says, if you pray for the Holy Spirit, he'll give him to you. And all of these things come with it. Do you see? Do you see? What does that look like? Well, it's like the great theologian once said, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Carrie Underwood, great theologian. There it is, right? Did I get that right? It was Carrie Underwood? Good. I have no idea, right? All right. The Holy Spirit is the answer that you're looking for. And all you have to do is see God as the Father shamelessly ask every day and ask for the one thing you need more than anything. Holy Spirit, control me today because if not, I'm going to screw it up. Help me. And that, that prepares you for the battle of you versus the evil forces that is coming next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, the simplicity of this passage. Though there is so much more we can study about the Lord's Prayer, so much more we can study about this passage, you have given us three practical handles to hold on to so that we can understand prayer. Simply, Father, shamelessly asking for the Holy Spirit, help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.